Hey everybody, welcome to The Obelisk. Tonight we have a pre-recorded episode we did back in December with J.W. Spillers. Jay has practiced law for several years in Utah before moving to Montana. He brings his legal analytical mind to his writings to help explore any topic he's discussing in his writing. Jay currently lives in Montana with his wife Linda and their son Timmy. Jay is an avid writer and loves to share ideas with others. He seeks to provide content that will bring value to his readers' everyday life. Jay's had an interest in topics related to mind, body, and spirit for over two decades. He has spent countless hours studying such topics. He loves movies and spending time in quiet reflection. If you'd like to contact him, his email address is in the description. And tonight we're going to talk to him about near-death experiences. Jay, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it should be interesting chat. I enjoyed uh, the couple video interviews that I found of you today, Jay. So it is a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for on my end for coming as well. This is going to be an enjoyable chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm wondering... I see you're in Montana. Yeah, I live in Anaconda, Montana. It's about it's about 30 miles from Butte and about 70 miles from Helena, Montana. Okay. So it's in southwestern Montana. Yeah, oh, I love Montana so much. I'm not in Washington State. Are you a Montana's... dental floss tycoon? It's a Frank Zappa joke. Never mind. <laughs> Jerry. I do. Montana is one of my favorite states. And when I think about relocating, I always think of Montana or South Dakota. Beautiful states. Yeah. It's so, too, too cold for me. <laughs> I like the cold. Well, so this is our obelisk show, isn't it, Jerry? Yeah. So we are definitely very, very interested in the subject which you bring to the table with your book uh, about NDEs. And I found it very interesting, the tie-in you have with the Bible. I very much enjoyed the interviews I listened to earlier. Uh, and so I think we should just dive right in. Okay. So Do you want with, me to just tell you how I got interested? Yeah, yeah. yeah Go ahead exactly. and and give us give us your uh, entry point into NDEs, and also how you tied it into your uh, biblical studies. Yeah, it, I came. I became a Christian in in nineteen eighty one. I was nine years old and a summer camp for the for blind and visually impaired people. I have a visual impairment. And then I was going to a church. And then a couple of years later, I was watching TV and there was a show back in 83 called That's Incredible. And they were talking about near-death experiences. And I was just really awestruck by it because these people had actually gone to heaven and they'd met God and met Jesus and all the things that, you know, a Christian would believe by faith they had actually seen 
and I was just really taken by it. And I thought I would call this radio show called The Bible Answer Man and see what, his, see what he thought about it. And I put a little tape recorder up to the speaker and I asked um, Dr. Walter Martin what he thought and his answer was real dismissive and you know just kind of poo-pooed it. So I was kind of dejected and I put it aside for, for a few years, quite a few years. And every once in a while I'd go back to the topic. But then it was in 97, I started getting interested again because I started to kind of have doubts in my faith. So I started looking at the near-death experience and I started seeing, wow, so many things tie into what the Bible says, you know, like the, the things they would see, the emphasis on love, you know, the life review was, you know, basically like the judgment, but, you know, it, it sort of gave you new insights that you may not have had coming from a Christian perspective, but it all tied together. And from about 97 on, I started getting really interested in the near-death experience and could see the parallels between that and the Bible. So that's been about 23 years. And then I decided to eventually write a book um, starting last year. So I started writing my book and that's how it came to be, you know. So you had never had an NDE experience yourself? I've never had a near-death experience, no. Okay. I think the near-death experience became even more interesting to me um, in 2010 um, when my dad died because, you know, you, you kind of uh, start thinking about those things when you see your parents pass away and um, what's there. And so I got even even more interested after 2010 in the near-death experience as a result of that. And I've just been studying hundreds of near-death experiences. I've read quite a few books. I've um, listened to, to a lot of things online. I've read a lot of things. I've been part of different email groups and Facebook groups and whatnot over the years. So I've had a fascination with the near-death experience for quite a while. Did at any point when your father was passing, did he, and so I'm not sure how he passed, if there was, if you were graced with a slow passing where you could all interact, did he give any insight into dreams or visions he was having during the process? No, he hadn't had any visions or dreams. He died of cancer, so we knew quite a few months in advance that he was going to be passing. But what happened was about a month after he passed, I, I did have what I call a visitation dream, and I, I read about them online where he came to me. It's like a lucid dream where it feels as real as when you're awake, but I knew that I was asleep, and I knew that he had passed, so I knew that he was visiting me. And it was a really uh, awesome experience. It wasn't a particularly lo long experience, but it was a very touching experience. And basically, I woke up feeling euphoric. He whispered into, into my left ear because I asked him, well, what's it like to be in heaven and be on the other side? And he said, it's wonderful. And then it's like you just woke up and I had this energy running through my body. And I did actually bring that up towards the tail end of my book about um, an experience that I had, but I haven't personally had a near-death experience myself. Yeah, I find that I'm not sure what your 
perspective is here on this, but the overlap between dreams and dreaming of loved ones that have passed and uh, NDEs, there's a, there's a connection there uh, as far as points of consciousness and our, our connection to other things outside of our fleshly experience, the material realm. Have you found any of that overlap in your studies? Um, yeah, and when I talk about, uh, there's experiences that are pretty much virtually identical to the near-death experience called spiritually transformative experiences. The only difference obviously being is you're not dead. And actually the Bible has a lot of those. The Bible has a couple, what I believe are direct near-death experiences, but it has a lot of spiritually transformative experiences. You know, one of which the Apostle Paul had, he had both a STE and an NDE because when he first was converted on the road to Damascus, he saw Christ as a bright light. He said it was brighter than the noonday sun. And he was transformed and given a mission to go to the Gentiles, bring the gospel to the nations. And during that, during that spiritually transformative experience, he had companions with him who saw the light and they heard a sound, but they didn't see Christ specifically or they didn't uh, see they didn't hear or see Christ but they saw a light and they heard a sound and this is actually common with NDEs because they have what's becoming more popular is the shared near-death experience where someone will be in the room with the person as they're dying and they'll actually see some of what the person is seeing as they're transitioning over so his companion sort of shared in his experience and then Paul experienced a miracle because he was blinded and then when um, Ananias came to him three days later, he received his sight. And with near-death experiences, it's common to have miracles and other supernatural events that will follow, such as um, Mel and Thomas Benedict, when he died, he had inoperable brain cancer. He came back, his brain cancer was totally healed. This doctor said it was a spontaneous remission. The Apostle Paul based that experience to establish his apostleship and a lot of times with NDEs and STEs, it'll trigger other experiences. Because Paul would go on from having that spiritually transformative experience, which converted him to have an NDE later on because he was stoned in Lystra. And we believe that he died in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. He says, I, met, I, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know who heard in utterable sounds and who was taken to the third heaven to paradise and we believe that was Paul and when it says inoperable inoperable voices or inoperable sounds it sounds like telepathy like these words were spoken but they weren't spoken with the mouth and that could have been telepathy and then he was taken to paradise and he said it was unlawful for a person to speak of it and when you get into the translation it's more saying it was impossible to fully explain what happened. And that's common with the near-death experience that it's so beautiful, I have trouble putting it into words. And that was the Apostle Paul when he had his NDE. So he had an NDE probably triggered initially from his conversion, spiritually transformative experience. And the Apostle Paul seemed to have 
less fear of death than any of the other apostles. I don't think the other apostles really feared death, but he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. The apostle Paul went into explain about the spiritual body, that we would be given a spiritual body. And I think that's what Paul was operating in when he said, whether in the body or out of the body, he knew he had a body, but it was different than the physical one. And he was trying to understand it. And he explains it later in a different portion of scripture, that it's a spiritual body. So I see the apostle Paul as having both an SE and an NDE. And he wrote half of the New Testament and was influential in bringing Christianity to, you know, to the world and to the nations, you know. Um, the other NDE that, uh, that, I rec- that I have about in my book is the resurrection of Christ himself, which was extraordinary, but I think it was an NDE in that he died. He was conscious and aware because it talks about, he told the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. He told the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. And it says that he went to, um, he descended into Hades and preached to the spirits who were imprisoned and brought them out essentially so that they could live. So he was active and conscious. And then the third day he rose again. So that's sort of, that's basically crystal to, to our faith. It's central to our faith. And that was essentially an NDE. So I see the NDE as being very central in the New Testament, both with the Apostle Paul and with Christ himself. If that was an NDE, then he didn't really resurrect. It's a transfiguration, Jer. Well, well, I believe that he did resurrect. Um, and I believe, and like I said in my book, I believe that the NDE is, that the resurrection is a very unique NDE, but I consider it an NDE in the sense that he died, he was conscious, and then he came back to life. So I can I classify it as an NDE in that sense. Okay. You know? gotcha. And I think a lot of Christians would maybe struggle with that because it's like, wow, the resurrection is just an NDE, you know. But I think it, it can be classified as an NDE, an extraordinary one. And if the resurrection is an NDE, in a sense, that would sort of give validity to the NDE from the from a biblical perspective, you know. And then there's there's tie-ins from the NDE to people that have had NDEs, like Howard Storm have asked, well, what about the Bible? And it's basically we're, we're told that it is a spiritual book. You have to read it spiritually and pray about it, and that you know it does it is divinely inspired. So the two sort of support each other, you know? So if there's evidence for one, it sort of indirectly gives evidence for the other. Could you go into a bit of the illuminated ones and the process of transfiguration as it ties into all of this? The illuminated ones like... uh, like Christ like ended up being like the- well okay so let's start with going into the transfiguration and how that ties into these stories well I mentioned the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter James and John where Christ before he died on the cross was basically transfigured and he started to become illuminated 
he started to basically glow and become white, you know, and, and uh, Moses and Elijah were present. And Peter used that to establish his apostleship that he saw it and that um, it was a transforming experience for him as well. And he's also a central figure to Christianity, you know, like the Apostle Paul. Um, so that was an STE. And he actually knew who Moses and Elijah were without being introduced, which is common to like an NDE where there's sort of an inner knowing, like if you see an ancestor or a certain religious figure, a lot of times you know who they are even before they introduce themselves. But I thought that was like an NDE as well. So when we talk about, in the biblical sense, those that have become illuminated, and we see this in the story of Lazarus, uh, how, how does that play into all of this from your perspective? You mean... Are you saying like when you have a near-death experience, it's sort of the door is opened and you're sort of connected spiritually to God, to the divine, to your higher self, and that when you come back, you still have sort of a connection? Because a lot of near-death experience people have sort of that connection where miracles follow and spiritual experiences like, you know, sometimes there'll be electricity, you'll be affected, like they'll blow out lights and things like that where they have a connection to, to the spiritual realm? Yeah, that in part. If you could go into that, and then we'll dig deeper into this idea. Well, that's what I was saying is about sometimes when you have a spiritually transformative experience or a near-death experience, it tends to kind of trigger other experiences. And I think that that's because it sort of opens a door to the spiritual realm that they are more connected spiritually than most of us are and a lot of times it's not uncommon to hear of a person that had four near-death experiences or six or that had a couple near-death experiences and some spiritually transformative experiences on top of it and I do believe that and I I do believe that there's some people that um seem to be born more spiritually connected and spiritually aware, you know, that may not have even had an NDE first or STE, that they just are automatically from birth have a connection that many of us don't automatically have. I do believe that that does happen, you know. And I think through meditation, some people have been opened up too to be more spiritually connected. You know, I, I meditate myself and I feel that I become more spiritually connected through meditation. I don't know that I'm as connected as a lot of the people that have had near-death experiences, but I do believe that meditation can sort of connect you spiritually and give you insights and revelations to help you understand things better. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think meditation is... Uh an amazing tool to use to get connected into those higher states. And uh, it's one I use myself. I, I'm particularly interested in saying, so when Lazarus, in La the Lazarus bit, 
uh, how he became illuminated. He became glowing, a shining one. And we see this with Moses and others as well in the canon. And so I was, I am, and, and also in the Pafrigal, in the Pafr, the Pafrikia, I can never say that right, uh, stuff that may be a little more racy for some people. Some of the stuff Enoch's talking about in the Gospel of Thomas and those types of uh, books that were taken from the canon. Uh, there's this idea of the shining or the illuminated ones that had these remarkable experiences touched by the hand of God, so to speak, so to speak, and came back with a completely transfigured. And they appeared to be different than they, they were before to those around them. And so loosely, of course, more literally with Lazarus, we see this imagery or we hear this imagery of shining and golden the you know the that stuff's around in in the literature as as i've read it and understood it and so i'm wondering what you take from that how you process that information Well, I know that I, I remember hearing about Moses that he basically got God's shadow passed over him and he saw God from behind. You know, maybe he didn't take in the fullness of God, but he took in a part of God and that he was glowing and, you know, he had to cover his face. And I, I do remember that in the Old Testament. And people have wondered when Christ resurrected, he wasn't initially recognized for who he was that um, when he took on the resurrection body there was sort of a, a glowingness to him or a difference to where they didn't yes. readily recognize him you know and so yeah I mean I do believe that and I, I think I've heard of um, different people throughout the centuries that have been illuminated and they were shining and things like that I don't really know a whole lot about that particularly but I have heard of that and I know with the near-death experience that a lot of times they do come back and they do seem profoundly different and sometimes it can create um, controversy in their families and a lot of near-death experiencers have ended up being divorced by their spouse and things like that because their spouse couldn't take the fact that they were so profoundly different from who they were before, you know. So there's sort of a literal sometimes glowing and illumination and sometimes there's just a profound transformation in the person that they don't necessarily look different or glow but there is a transformation that takes place there yeah i never i never took any of it to have a physicality to it it was definitely a quality and energy and perception so and especially as i was reading some of the other gospels that were taken from the canon uh this is interesting to me in context to NDEs because there are some of those stories out there in the world, and I'm sure you've encountered them, where there is this major shift in personality. Of course, this is expected when you have something so profound happen. 
and uh, it it realigns you, it realters you as far as what the process is that's happening in this idea of life. And also, <clears throat> the uh, you talk you separated before you were talking about spiritually transformative STEs versus NDEs, and it's it would seem to me that NDEs would be a form of STE which would account for what Nish was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think the, the big difference between STE and NDE is with the near-death experience, the person, you know, dies or essentially gets very close to death, whereas an STD or STE, you could be fully awake and conscious and healthy and, you know, still have a similar experience where you see heaven or you see lights or you experience something that's like an NDE, you know. So I guess in you know in the sense that NDE is a particular type of STE. Yeah. You know? That's that's kind of what I mean. I didn't I didn't mean the other way around. But yeah, I mean <clears throat> NDEs can be spiritually transformative and usually are for most people. For for at least for people who who haven't experienced there are a lot of people who just die, come back to life and nothing they saw nothing. They got nothing out of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, what I've heard is, well, go ahead. No, no, carry on, please, Jay. Yeah, what I was going to say is, I think it's about 18% of those that clinically die that have some type of awareness or experience, um, which is so close to one in five. And you wonder about what happens to the other four people that die and just come back and don't remember anything? Did they actually experience anything or did they not? And then a lot of people have speculated that maybe they did experience something too, you know, because we're all spiritual beings. We all have souls. Um, but maybe for whatever reason, they just don't remember it. You know, maybe they didn't get the same connection when they came back that in the years did that to where they could remember it you know and i have heard of ndes sometimes where people initially don't remember and then it'll sort of come to them over time so maybe that would sort of support the idea that the other 80 percent had an experience of some sort they just don't remember it you know they're not connected to remember it or, or they didn't they didn't go anywhere they could be like soulless beings who died. NPCs, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think every human being has a spirit and a soul, but you know, I guess maybe some people believe that they don't have souls, you know. Are you, Jay, are you familiar with the idea of walk-ins yeah actually i have heard of walk-ins where sometimes a person might die and their soul will decide to just stay in heaven another soul will jump in um and sort of take over and sometimes it can be temporary sometimes it can be permanent i have heard of that experience you know um i don't know how common it is but I have heard of it before. 
I think it would be kind of uh, kind of weird to experience. I'm just yeah, wondering. I don't think you'd know if it, if it happened. <laughs> I... Yeah, that's my point. Exactly. I'm wondering yeah. if for some people that have no experience of uh, anything during a, an NDE, especially those that flatlined, uh, because remember, near death means near death. And so that can encompass those who have flatlined and, and those who haven't. Uh, anyway, so I'm wondering if there's something there with those who have flatlined and then come back and not had a, there's no memory. So the experience was blackness or no memory. If, if there's a possibility that something else just decided to take the vessel and move forward. So I was, I was definitely wondering your ideas and thoughts on that. Of course, there's nothing empirical here as we know, but this whole, our whole show is definitely about getting ideas around uh, these concepts and these philosophies and uh, coming from opinions. We're, you know, we're chewing philosoph philosophical stuff here and theological mm -hmm. stuff. Well, I guess if another being did take over, um, most of the time they remember their life before, so they would have to be able to, they would have to have the memories of that other person to sort of play the role. I guess that could happen, you know. But that could be like the basic stuff. So say, you know, say you... You know, this could be stuff that's housed in the neurology of your brain that you have, although we do hear these stories where people come back and they have to relearn to speak and they have to relearn to do things. I had just talked to uh, uh, Jim Bruton and his ND was remarkable, by the way. You may have heard of it out there since you've studied these. He is more commonly known by Jim Bruton, but it's a French name, Bruton. And uh, his story is remarkable. And there were a lot of changes with him in particular and having to relearn stuff. So, but it seems like the basic information could be accessed through the neurotransmitters and the stuff that's accessible within the brain itself and uh, enough to get going because there are those stories out there where they'll, they'll remember basic stuff, but other stuff is completely not there and they have to relearn. And then there is a degree of amnesia that happens. And Jim brought forth some of that a little bit. Well, if, if they had um, a walk-in where someone came in would they generally be a, another human soul or could it actually be dark entities that come in and you know play the other person could dark entities come into this that's precisely where i wanted to go with this jay i wanted to look at how accessible we are and how vulnerable we can be in these uh experiences how easily one could be uh co-opted your flesh could be co-opted during such an event by something that's 
a little more darker and without permissions. So I definitely had a note mm -hmm. here and was wondering where you were standing, what your thoughts are on that idea with the demonic aspect. Well, I, I do believe that there can be things like demonic possession. And I guess that a demon could take possession of a body, you know, who dies and then comes back. Um, I know sometimes with uh, demonic possession, I think there actually are beings, but sometimes I think demonic possession can also be essentially tapping into the darker self of a person and it can take sort of an anthropomorphic form that can appear as a demon, you know, because I've heard of um, NDEs where they experience demons and there were specific demons like, you know, different issues like fear or lust or different aspects of their being so that those kind of demons may be the darkness within sort of taking a form or the darkness within humanity taking a form that there could be other beings outside of us that also could come into play. So I, I believe that both of them are possible, you know. Do you think, I mean, do you, do you think that some demons are just basically the darkness within a person that takes a uh, anthropomorphic form? Or do you always believe that they're outside entities? Personally, I believe they could absolutely be shadow content from the person, absolutely. But I don't put anything off the table. So externalized entities are something I, I like to talk about because they are talked about in the world. And they're certainly brought up within the canon and lots of other uh, religious texts and tomes and in the spiritual community in general, as wide and diverse as it is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, I I'd mentioned different. Carry on, please. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, um, yeah, I do mention in a couple of the near death experiences, like um, when Howard Storm died, um, his initial experience was going into a dark room because he he basically had a perforated stomach. He was in France. He died, and these entities these people came and said, come on, come on, you need to come. And he thought he was being taken to surgery and he was surprised how well their English was. But then he kept going down this dark room and eventually they just started attacking him and beating him up. And at some point he called out to God, but they were, they were demons that were attacking him on the other side. And I also talk about Ian McCormick who was uh, found himself initially in darkness and the demons were basically verbally assaulting him, telling him, you deserve to be here, shut up. And then uh, the light broke through and he was taken into heaven, you know? So, and I kind of wondered with Ian, if, Ian McCormick, if they were demons within himself or if they were external entities, you know, as I was, you know, writing my book and I mentioned that they might've been within him, I wasn't really sure because you know, it seemed like he had recited the Lord's Prayer and was having contact with God, and then he was taken in the darkness, and then he was brought out. And I was kind of wondering, well, why was he initially taken in the darkness 
with dark entities and then brought back into the light again. And I kind of speculated if that was the darkness within him and that he needed to see the difference for himself between darkness and light. So it was sort of contrasted for him. And I mentioned that a little bit in my book, you know. But yeah, I do believe there are external demons that sometimes come in. Well, okay, so and I know you're a deep man of faith, and I, I learned that today, uh, listening to your interviews and doing a, a little bit of a dive uh, into the, the work you're putting forth. And so I was definitely curious as to where, where you stand, and you do seem to be more uh, New Testament. And so I was wondering, and I'm more familiar with, say, the Catholic slant of stuff, especially. Uh, and I was wondering what what your idea of is of the hell of the hell realm. And and you did mention it in a couple, in at least one interview, about those who experienced darkness were in the hell realm. And it changed, they were atheists and they, they had their NDE. They experienced, at least one person, I think, experienced blackness and came back and then had some sort of experience. I can't recall exactly. Uh, in my notes, I didn't put that person's name down. Uh, however, there was this information that came out of that that I found compelling was the idea of the blackness and the association with the darkness, the nothingness of the experience being associated with the hell realm. Yeah, I think that was um, probably Angie Finnamore. And um, yeah, because a lot of people with near-death experiences talk about going into the void and the void is usually like total blackness. And a lot of times you feel alone and there's a absence of everything. Um, the void isn't always negative. There have been times where people have experienced total blackness, but they felt like the presence of God was still there. And it can actually be a peaceful experience. So the, the primary thing of what makes the void hell, if you will, is when you feel the lack of absence of anything good or the light or God or that and it, it's similar to I think what the Bible talks about when it says you know some somewhere will go to outer darkness and so I think when you have outer darkness or the void where the person is is uh, absence of of anything that is a type of hell and the way I see hell is uh, it's sort of it's the absence of God in His presence but. Like she said, Angie said, for most people, hell functions more like a purgatory in the sense that it's remedial. It's sort of trying to point you to God and to look towards God, look towards the light, and that it's not an endless thing, you know, that the only way hell can be endless is if you don't wish to go into the light ever, which is sort of what the Bible would call blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You're sort of rejecting the light completely you're saying no i don't want to go there so god doesn't force you to go into heaven or to go into the better realm you can stay in hell forever if you want but for most people it's going to function more like a purgatory and i see kind of the differences 
heaven and hell more sort of like a scale to where the closer you move to towards love and towards the light, the more in heaven you are. The, and the more you move away from love and light, the more you propel yourself into darkness, into more and more hell. And that's kind of the way I see it. And I see Christ as being someone that's seeking to shine a light and to sort of bring us towards the light, bring us towards the Father, the source of all things. And that's kind of how I understand heaven and hell, you know, and that I think you can be in hell on earth without having to be dead. You know, it's just a matter of perspective of where your spirit is, where, where your heart is, you know, are you, are you, is your heart pointed towards love or is it pointed towards the things that are contrary to love? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I do pull up to that as well, that so much of it is what we, we create and what we feed. Uh, I was wondering your concept of the soul, how, how you conceptualize it from your particular vantage point. Well, I believe that um, our souls have a divine aspect to us that we are all connected to God. We're all, and it's been described different ways. We're all like a fragment of God or sort of a drop from the ocean that is God. So I think that we all have a, a direct connection to God. We all have that spark of divinity in us. So I see the soul as being sort of a unique um, expression of God, a divine expression of God that you know, that lives on the earth or that goes out and experiences things. So that's kind of how I see it is that we're all an expression of God and the divine. And I know sometimes uh, a lot of Christians would probably cringe at that concept, but there has been throughout Christianity, if you look at uh, over the centuries, there's been different movements where there's been an understanding at some level that we are connected to the divine, that we're divine sparks, something along those lines, you know, and it's been talked about in different ways, but so I don't think the concept is, is foreign to Christianity at all, you know, it's just I think a lot of Christians today would probably sort of cringe at the idea of saying that we're a part of God. Yeah, it's, there are so many denominations and uh, interpretations of the canon and, and different versions as well, that it's hard for me as just a generally spiritual person to, and very open to, to grasp the differences in some of these theological separation points. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I, I know very little in the end. I, I know I've, I've now, I've actually read through the whole Bible. So, that, which was a feat for me. I'd read through the, more of the stuff that was stricken from the canon first, which is what in, enticed me. <laughs> because I was curious as to what, well, why are these things thrown out? And, uh, and I find it all fascinating. I'm wondering what denomination do you find yourself in these days? 
Well, I'm, I think I'm kind of at the point to where I can, I can find truth and, and good things in virtually every denomination. I go to a particular church, you know, because I met my wife and she was part of a church. It was a Baptist church and I'm fine with that, you know, but I think that I could probably fellowship with Catholics or Mormons or different groups and, you know, just fine. And um, I kind of see religion as being, it, it takes spiritual truth and sort of puts it within a cultural, personal context that makes sense to the person that's writing or teaching it. And it makes sense to his audience. And I kind of show that that's how I see the Bible is that, do I believe the Bible is divinely inspired? Yes. But I think that it's putting it within a cultural context that makes sense. And I, I say that when the Bible was written, there was sort of not just a progressive revelation of truth, but there was a progressive expression of God. So it's like when we first started, you know, God seems pretty harsh. You know, he's telling them to go send, go out and wipe out the Canaanites and do all these things. And there's capital offenses for things that seem kind of trivial, you know, but that's the way it was. And that was how God was revealing himself at that time, because that's basically all they could handle. But even as the Old Testament unfolds, you start to see um, the nature of God unfolding and being revealed. Like by the time you get to Jonah and the whale, God's basically saying, I don't want to go in and destroy these people, even though Jonah wanted them to. I have mercy on them. I have pity on them. And then when you get up to Christ, it's like, wow, you, you take a real giant leap in terms of seeing the mercy, the love, and the compassion of God being revealed. So I kind of see it as, as a progressive um, a, a progressive revelation of God that a you know and a progressive understanding expression of how God relates and I I think if people could understand that maybe that would make more sense when you look at the Bible because I know a lot of times you know I'll talk to atheists and they'll be talking about you know all the things about the Old Testament what about when he said wipe out the Canaanites what about this and you know things like that um, so I, I kind of tried to did tried to explain that to help people, and I also had a chapter talking about the near death experience about um, well, what if it's a hallucination? What if it's a trick of Satan? Because sometimes Christians will get into that, and I go into those kind of issues too, you know, sort of uh, explaining the near death experience and even the near death experience in terms of putting it within a context. A personal context to some extent does that because like Mel and Thomas Benedict talked about a feedback loop to where you can experience to a certain extent what you expect to experience. It is always the case because sometimes people will have near-death experiences and will be like, wow, my mind was totally blown. It wasn't like anything like what I thought it was going to be. But sometimes you can have experiences that connect you to what you already believe. And then God from there can sort of take you further and give you greater understanding. So sometimes you'll have a near-death experience that'll be very specific to the individual. You know, like if a Catholic dies, they'll see Jesus and, you know, the Virgin Mary and things like that. Whereas maybe if a, if a Protestant died, you know, the, seeing the Virgin Mary wouldn't be as significant. So they might only see Jesus, 
So there can be some um, some personal uh, some personal personalization of the near death experience. But I think that when you look at the common truths of the NDE, they seem to all basically point to the same thing, like the centrality of love, and you know they they give the person peace. There is a lot of beauty and and truth and things like that that come out. So I always try to look at the near-death experience in totality and look at a lot of different experiences rather than just focusing on one specific experience, you know, when, when I'm evaluating them. Yeah, analysis is an important factor here when we're looking at uh, phenomena. It's, it's definitely highly cultural and... Uh, and that that extends to all the other religions as well. And certainly one of the things I've been encountering in modern NDEs that are very much in the last, people have had them in the last 10 years, is a digital aspect to them or a more, uh, well, like Jerry recently had one and it brought in a lot of more the Marvel universe, and, and hard to authentic. say if those were typical NDEs. Though I mean, the, that was more of a delusional state I was in. I think, but it it's not now that I've had a few more uh, interactions with some modern NDE people. Uh, there's there's certainly something I'm noticing it, with the. The modern world at play, as opposed to say people that are generally more uh, traditional or orthodox in their in their worldview of religiosity, and you know, there's yeah. something going on in the new wave. That's what I want to say. Yeah, it kind of points to whatever you believe will happen to some degree, will be your experience. Is that yes. a good way to put it? That mm -hmm. your, your belief forms that, that experience you have when you die. And that, that, that could be a good well, thing or I bad kinda, thing. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I kind of wonder, too. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I kind of wonder how the near-death experience will be affected um, because like if you look at the 70s and 80s, when you started to get the modern resuscitation techniques coming forward and you started to see near-death experiences and they started to become somewhat known, they were still not very commonly known. But now, you know, there's all kinds of movies and books and shows. So if a person was to die now, they would probably be more likely to have knowledge about the near-death experience that if you had an NDE in 1980, maybe you'd be a lot less familiar with them. And how will that affect what they experience when they get there? You know, I've kind of wondered that too. I've seen other people wondering how NDEs going forward will be different from like the ones, you know, in the 70s and 80s when we first started talking about it. Yeah, and then that just feeds into the whole larger, I'll say issue with all the media quote unquote programming of, uh, the, of human consciousness to on what to expect in the future or, or what they want us to manifest, mm -hmm. if you will. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I had an NDE or not. It, I, this is why I like to underline, Jerry, especially after having uh, really started to take more of a deep dive into this personally. Uh, I like to underline and highlight and score <laughs> near death. So it doesn't have to, you don't have to have flatlined. You were, you were technically hanging on the thread. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. 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 In the, the in the you know literal term near death. Yes. Totally. That yeah. was my, I had a, a really funky experience for sure. Jerry had heart failure recently last year at this and time. Pneumonia. Yeah. So and he was, was probably in the coof. <laughs> and he was in an induced coma and had very fantastic, all fantastical. Uh, imagery around that. Oh, it was crazy. And so, and and what I'm saying here is that some of the more recent ones I've encountered are also kind of mirroring some of some of not exactly. And I've never encountered any that are exactly the same personally. Uh, and that's why I'm interested in the ones that actually veer from kind of the normal narratives of there's a a light and a tunnel and all the loved ones and all that. I, I'm more interested in the anomalous experiences. That's why I like the one like James, you know, the Bruton experience is very intriguing. Uh, and, and, and Jerry's and others that seem to be popping up now. And of course we understand that culture is changing and we're very digitized. And with that, Jay, I'm wondering where do you land right now? This is kind of a left turn, but it's tied into all this with the nature of artificial intelligence is an idea with a baseline of algorithmic realities. So how algorithms are creating a rather profound influence in our lives. This, this is definitely directly related to our neurological development because we're somehow wrapping ourselves around these digital realities by spending more time online with smartphones, uh, and our TVs are even now smart TVs. And so it's hard to get away from algorithms. Well, I mean, I, well, and I, I sort of, are you sort of getting at too, is that will artificial intelligence have a genuine awareness or consciousness? Sort of like the data on Star Trek really have a consciousness or was it just sort of mimicking human um, emotions and interactions? You know, there's this one robot that's kind of like Data now that I guess was created in Saudi Arabia and she speaks and, you know, kind of is similar to Data, not really as good, but you kind of wonder, does she have a, a genuine consciousness? And if she has a consciousness, is there some kind of soul connected to it or that can connect to it, you know? Is that kind of what you're getting at too? It's in a way, it's an aspect. 
and certainly I would love to hear what you think around that. Um, I, I really sort of wondered, you know, what, what kind of consciousness a artificial intelligence being would have, uh, whether they would have an existence beyond their physical one. And then of course you, you sort of have the issue of would they have rights? Um, and that actually came up in a Star Trek episode because uh, if, if we got to the point to where everything was post-scarcity and we essentially had artificial intelligence producing everything for us, would they have any rights or could we just essentially work them 24-7 and it didn't really matter, you know? I've kind of wondered that and I do wonder how much of our technology is a distraction for us because I think in the past, you sort of could get away from the world and sort of form your own opinions and ideas. But now it's like everywhere technology is impeding on our life. We've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got 24-hour news medias. And you sort of wonder, can people, unless they just totally turn it off, have genuine independent thought from that? Um, because that it does seem harder for people to kind of deviate from what's being what's being projected there, you know. And maybe sometimes the media will give us something that's true, but did we arrive at it because we reasoned through it and saw that it was true, or we just basically parroting back what we're being brainwashed to accept as true, you know. I mean, it's kind of a scary thing, you know, in that sense. Well, if we tie, especially if we tie that idea into, say, something like entities, whether we want to call those entities disincarnate uh, beings, demons. Demons. Everything is demons. (laughs) angels, the angelic orders, you know, the principalities, the cherubim, the seraphim, all those, uh, or, or devas, it just depends on the slant we're taking, the overlay we're, we're looking at, but other, those things that are other than us, and this can be inclusive of, say, extraterrestrial life as well, or interterrestrial, I don't know what the new term is for or terrestrial life that's non-human, that's also not in the known animal kingdom. Demons. <laughs> so, so when we when we start tying in the idea of AI intelligence, are not and especially when we when we look at non-locality, non-local intelligence, as in a point of consciousness that is separate from the human being. Is there something that connects us? Is there a thread, Jay, that connects us? Or is there something special about the human being? Well, I believe that we're, we are connected and I've heard the idea that um, our bodies and minds are sort of like 
TVs in the sense that they receive information, but that our our soul to, to a great extent is still connected in a different dimension. It sort of projects in. Um, so when, when our body dies, we still are, we still have um, consciousness and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I, in terms of aliens, I did actually get into um, aliens because Howard Storm actually had talked about that there is other life in the universe and there's other universes and that the life that the universe is filled with life and other universes are as well and that Jesus is the savior of many worlds that he's been to many worlds most worlds he wasn't actually killed our world sort of operates at a lower vibration we're sort of in a great deal of darkness compared to many other alien worlds and how does that relate to angels? I did sort of speculate, what are angels? Are angels essentially aliens that their world has been consummated and they live in a completely spiritual form just there to help um, humans and races of, of beings on other planets? And that so there would be sort of a connection between aliens and angels, that angels would just be sort of a completely spiritual being that you know, that's all they do is, is help. And I sort of wanted that and, you know. Well, yeah, and, and as we see, and, uh, carry on, please. Oh, yeah, I was going to say too, I, I have heard things like uh, wondered, people have wondered whether the greys were actual physical beings like us, biological beings, or whether they were some type of robot that, you know, is operating and um, doing someone else's business, you know, maybe like the reptilians or things like that. And, um, I have heard that speculated, you know. Yeah, that seems to be general consensus that the greys are some sort of biological construct into which other beings project their consciousness because they cannot exist in whichever space the greys exist in. And I, I've heard that the greys were doing stuff with, uh, you know, where they're, where they're trying to create hybrids with humans. And some have speculated because humans still have emotions. They're trying to create an offspring to, to sort of get emotions back into that race. I've heard that speculated before too. Is yeah. go on, Jerry. No, I was gonna say I, I I've heard that too. I've heard many things. And I mean it's impossible to know the truth to these things if they're even real. But um that seems to be the general consensus that they've they've evolved to a point where they've lost their, for lack of a better word, their humanity and are trying to get it back. That is one of the, the subplots of this alien narrative that's out there. Go ahead, Nish. Well, I, I'm interested in, in Jay's ideas around that. around um, 
aliens. Yeah, well, I do and believe that there are probably thousands. You do believe? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Well, I do believe that there are um, probably millions or more alien races out there, and I do believe that most of them are probably benevolent. I sort of wonder. It seems like in most of the alien literature. Uh, the aliens tend to be the ones are we getting visited more by the dark ones than the good ones because it always seems like they're abducting us and doing experiments and you know doing things against our will and you have the reptilians of course which seem very dark but do the do the more benevolent ones tend to sort of stay behind the scenes a lot more than the darker ones Sometimes it seems that way. Seems to me there are no benevolent ones. That's why we never see them. Yeah, there is a there's a sense of hopelessness when you look into some of these waters. And even when we dig into some of the the biblical stuff on the different angelic orders. They seem to be, there's a, there's a darkness, say, with like the seraphinic order. The seraphims seem to have a, a certain darkness to them. The archangels certainly, I mean, we get Lucifer right out of there with Satan, you know, right out of the archangels. And so there's, there does seem to be a certain darkness within even that overlay that is interesting. And I'm interested in that connection between, so we talk about the reptilians and whatever that could be and however they could play out because as I understand it, and I'm, I'm no expert in this. So as with everything, I'm always just learning more. The whole process is about learning and evolving. But I understand there are different types of reptilians and I, I couldn't tell you what they are. I, I've understood they're like more like the Nagas we see in India and Cambodia and their temples and stuff, the snaky ones, they're more snake-like. And then the ones that seem more crocodile-like, and we certainly see these in cuneiforms in Sumer and in Egypt and in the ancient world, you know, what is called the ancient world. Uh, so there's representation there of these forms and these forms have ideas around them that we could either go in a literal sense or they could be metaphor certainly i wonder you know and then i think about the idea of the stuff that la marzulli brings forth and people like steve quayle when they're when they're talking about say the nephilim and then the giants and these other ideas that some people may call or consider dark, darker, uh, in contact, not in contact, in context to all of this that we're, we're speaking of right now. Is it possible that they're all kind of the same thing, Jay, and we're just having different points of view on these entities? Well, I, I 
think that the Nephilim may very well have been aliens. Um, in terms of how do you separate the difference between uh, like a dark alien, like the reptilian and demons? Because when you listen to the description of the reptilians and how they act and what they look like, they look kind of like what people describe as demons. And some people will say, well, all of the demons are really just dark aliens. And some people say all of the dark aliens are really just demons. But can there actually be a class of both? Sometimes you might experience a demon, which is a completely spiritual entity. And sometimes you might experience a dark alien, which may still have corporeal form to some extent. And the same thing with sort of the good angels and the, the aliens that are more benevolent. Because I have heard of like um, Edgar Casey and others have talked about the Arturians, which is supposed to be like a really highly evolved alien race. And they try to help people and they sound very much like angels in terms of what they do. So I don't know where you would draw the line in terms of saying this was an angel, this was an alien or a demon and a dark, a, a dark alien, you know, um, yeah, I think it it's up to the, the person true. And I know that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say sometimes it may be um, difficult to determine which is which. And I think that both of them are probably true to some extent, you know, and that uh, I that because I think Howard Storm had said that there is life in other dimensions so that there could be alien races that are almost completely non-corporeal spiritual. And then when you get to that point, it's like, how do you distinguish them from an angel? I don't know. You know? I, I think um, if you can tune into their energy, if you have that ability, that's the only way to... When you're dealing with interdimensional creatures, entities, the only way to really suss out their intentions is through their energy. And to see if there's there's something behind whatever you're interacting with. Uh, a lot of people we've talked to talked about how entities will present as something, but but not. They aren't that thing. So something may look like a gray, but there's a reptilian behind it. Or something may look like an angel, but there's a demon behind it. You know, and unless you're attuned to the energetic situation, there's no way you can determine that. You know, 90, 99% of people would have a dream or whatever, an, an encounter with one of these creatures and think that that's what they're dealing with. When in fact, it's probably not. Mm-hmm. Not, and I'm not saying I could determine. I, I can't heard. determine it either. I'm just saying, it's just what you know. Sorry, you've heard what? Yeah, I have heard, and I didn't get into this in my book. That some have wondered whether the NDE was something sinister in the sense that the light might be aliens that are trying to absorb our energy and things like that, and. Um, I sure hope that isn't true. And um, that's a I real kinda, popular trope. I kind of doubt that because, yeah, I, 
I mean, I kind of doubt it in the sense that I'll, everyone that I've seen that has went into the light has experienced love and ex unconditional love and peace and, you know, has seemed to be helped by them and, you know, benefited from it to where it doesn't seem like the light is taking advantage of people, that it is genuine, it is God or our higher selves, it is something positive to where, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a sinister entity that's trying to trick us, but I know that that idea has been put out there before. Oh yeah, it's it's a very very prevalent one, I would say, that there's a false, quote-unquote false light, uh, which would appear very loving and, and spiritual and, and attract you to it, but it's not the that construct itself isn't the bad part the bad part of it is if you get for instance sucked into that tunnel you'll go back into a recycling the a reincarnation machine you'll be recycled back onto earth when maybe you your path would have led you elsewhere had you not been caught in it that's the idea of that false light narrative it's much like the deep sea animals fish that have a luminous bioluminescence uh, bit to them that draws in things in the deep sea that want to eat that, thinking it's possibly like, say, a, a jellyfish or something that's more edible, that's something that mimics their food source. But when they get to it, they are eaten by this bigger predator that is not not that and it was a trap and so there's this predatory aspect oh, like here. those uh the light things on their forehead yeah or hanging from like a kind of a tentacle in front of their face yeah, i know what you're talking about yeah like bait yeah but the mimicking mimicking a food source spiritual clickbait yes <laughs> and, and it's out there jay this is out there as a narrative in the world spiritually in the spiritual communities uh with this false light narrative that people experience in ndes and it makes this a little more difficult to track as a phenomena and then there is the there's texts like the going forth by day known better known as the egyptian book of the dead where there are, are pitfalls all along the process in the underworld, in the afterlife, trying to get to, say, a heaven, trying to get to the, trying to, trying to get through those pitfalls. It's like a purgatory or a perdition in a way. And uh, you have to know the spells and incantations we're looking strictly from the Egyptian standpoint of how to get past like the the treacherous snakes of Ezadeha and the all this other stuff. There's a pathway. And that book, you know, those scriptures, those scrolls were specifically for the ruling class. So the 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 kings, the pharaohs and their family and some of the higher priesthood so this idea goes way back and it certainly goes back to biblical times and, and it shares space 
where early Christianity was also functioning and burgeoning out of. And so the idea of these, of the false light is something that's really truly out there and it's had a resurgence in the last decade at least. So I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I had read some of about that, and it's actually funny getting back to Star Trek because there was an episode of uh, Voyager where Janeway um, essentially looked like she died, and then she went into this light and she was talking to a being, and it turned out to be an alien entity that was trying to absorb her energy or something along those lines and then she came back and you know was having a conversation with her chief officer and he was saying well you know that's that's one possibility but there's other experiences and he mentioned the word near-death experiences where maybe it was more positive and they did really go into the light so it was even speculated you know in that particular episode um that was probably about 15 years ago or so. <clears throat> but do you think the test for a false light would be, um, does it continue to stay in line with love and compassion and peace, or does it turn into something sinister at some point? And what could you use to test to make sure that it's something, that it's a positive light? I don't think from people we've talked to about it it's never been it never turns quote-unquote sinister the 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 dastardly aspect of it would be that it's a trap uh it entraps your soul to this to this place to this realm whereas if you if you weren't seduced by the false light and took the correct path you may not recycle here you may not reincarnate here you may go somewhere else depending on what your next destination is i mean it's hard to, it's hard to speculate on on that but from from what i've heard it's never been a bad experience it's just it was a trick hmm. so as far as how to determine if it's the real light or the false light again i think that goes back to to what i said earlier about uh, being able to sense the energetic situation behind whatever's being presented to you to be able to suss out that <laughs> the intention of what's happening and and if mm. you know from my perspective if there is some path I should be on, then rejecting one because I don't believe it's the right one won't stop me from ever reaching that other path. You know, if, if it's where I'm supposed to go, then that door is, should always be open to me. If I'm just in some, some uh, hangar waiting to go there, you know what I mean? I don't know what a, what a good word would be like. <laughs> Like a, a holding pattern. I'm in a holding pattern until I go somewhere after you die. So I, I don't. Like a purgatory? I, no, like a. 
like let's just call it for lack of a better term some astral place okay you know you're in some when you you die your consciousness goes to some astral place and then you move from there to wherever you're going or do whatever you're supposed to do if there that's even a thing you know i i happen i i lean towards the fact that all the things that people say happen when you die are the the constructs they've projected and then you know it's their belief systems projecting a construct and then that's what they would experience you know and i i think well, that's more of a in terms Go ahead, go ahead, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, would it give you some hope? Yeah, would it give you some hope in the sense that many near-death experiencers feel like they were in control and that they would that they had free will and that they could choose to come back or choose to stay and that they didn't feel like the light was imposing anything upon them at all so that they felt like they were in control and the right. fact that the light would reveal to them that there are other alien races out there. The world is filled, the universe and is filled with life would be like, they're not trying to trick you because they're letting you know the whole universe is filled with life. Um, I mean, would that sort of give you hope or like, and if you saw loved ones on the other side that are happy, would that sort of give you an indication that maybe it's not a trap that I have people here that maybe I didn't even know, like you might meet an ancestor and find out it was that it was a genuine person when you got back. That this is actual heaven and this is God or something, you know, along those lines, rather than being a, a trick of an alien race or something. Is there something that could give you hope in that sense that it's a it's a good experience that it's real? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there are, and I I I, I guess my point was that I think that that transition period after death before you move on is meant to comfort you and ease you into the death experience more so than anything else. And seeing your loved ones or having a complete feeling of love and all the things that NDE people describe, it, it acclimates you to the death experience more, more easily than, you know, going right to a pit of fire. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the options would be. You know what I'm saying? I just think it's more of a, it's a transition and it, I view death as a doorway to another something. And in order to ease that transition through the doorway, you've got this, this staging area where you'd see a light and your loved ones and all the things we just talked about. I think that's, that's kind of how I view it. And what happens there and what happens afterwards, I have no idea. I mean, I think there are infinite possibilities. And and some would even say you've already chosen, so. Which kind of pisses me off because I don't know what I chose. Well, and I'm, well yeah, and I, I mentioned, though, you know, because there, there's like that verse that says, you know, uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light, and I I did try to say that near-death experiences tend to have the fruits of the Holy Spirit when they come back. They tend to be more loving and peaceful and kind, and they tend to change their ways. You know, they tend to have the fruits of repentance. 
and I said the difference between a Christian NDE and a non-Christian NDE doesn't tend to vary too much because they tend to both experience something that's loving and peaceful and kind and that the difference between like children and adult near-death experiences don't seem to vary too much and you would think that God would would not permit Satan or a dark entity from deceiving a child you think they'd give some kind of protection to a child and that the child's having similar experiences to what an adult would and I mean he doesn't the, the, the near-death experience doesn't sugarcoat our wrongdoings or sins because we have the life review and we experience exactly all the good and bad we've caused as other people experience it. So like if you were to say a cruel, world, a, a cruel word to someone, you would feel what they felt when you said that. Or if you physically assaulted someone, you would feel what they experienced in the assault. So you're not getting away with anything. You know, so, I mean, that's sort of coming at it from how a Christian would see it in terms of, is this Satan? Is this something sinister? I don't know. Maybe if, if it was an alien entity, and we're not talking about uh, just strictly the Christian thing in terms of being Satan, uh, would that be enough evidence to say this is something positive? This is actually God or and something, you know, that we could believe was good. I think a lot of that just comes down to your own belief system. Because uh, you can think about atheists going through this experience who don't believe in God. What are they going to think? The exp you know, what are they going to think after that? And, and they're not going to jump to, is Satan tricking me? Because that's not part of their belief system. Mm-hmm. And the same would go for other religions, like uh, um, Hindu people. When they go through a near-death experience, you know they're not. You know, I wonder how I wonder how that differs from a Christian near-death near experience. That's an interesting thing. Well, when I said when I talked about going into the light. Because uh, a lot of Christians will say, well, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit to enter into heaven. And I said, well, when they go into the light and they're being immersed in love and peace and they're being transformed as a result of it, aren't they essentially having their born again experience right there in the light? Um, and I've heard one NDE where she said, now I understand what it means when Christians say I'm reborn or born again. Because she felt like that happened in the light to her. And that's essentially what Ian McCormick said when he got back, that he's now a reborn Christian. And it was related to the in the light. So I see it as kind of a, as a um, born again experience. And when you talk about death, um, death is being understood more as a process now where even though if you flatline you have no heartbeat no brainwaves you may not be totally dead as the bible talks about you might have a silver cord still attached you still have a connection to this world that hasn't been completely severed mm -hmm. so that's why a lot of times with near-death experiences they'll say i came to a door or i came to a light and i knew if i crossed over into that i wouldn't be able to get back to this world so they sort of knew at some level that they hadn't 
completely passed over. So from a Christian perspective, because a lot of them would have a hard time with the idea of, well, how could you be saved after you die? Well, maybe death isn't completely permanent yet, and you're being given an opportunity to be immersed in the light and to be born of the Spirit right there, you know. So did you say the Bible mentions the silver cord? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, it mentions in Ecclesiastes, it talks about the silver cord, and I've seen near-death experiences where they they say they've seen some type of silver cord that might be attached to different parts of their body that, you know, they know that that connects them to this world. So both from the NDE and from the Bible, it does talk about a concept of having a connection to this world. And obviously not every NDE sees a silver cord, but there is some kind of understanding that we have a connection here. And just because your heart stops and your brain stops doesn't mean you're totally severed from this world just yet. Well, it's interesting because um, a lot, almost everyone we've spoken to about out-of-body experiences, not death-related, just uh, out-of-body experiences, astral travel, that kind of thing, they all talk about having a silver cord that connects them to their body. And I had no idea it was in the Bible. That's pretty interesting. Right, Nish? You've heard that, right? Oh, yeah. I had... You've seen yours. No, I have not. And that was one of the things that I had... It's because you're a demon. (laughs) I'm so not, Jerry. I feel like I'm completely the opposite of that. Uh, (laughs) But I, I, I did go... I know everything's demons. But I did go on a quest looking for others that have no experience with that silver coordinate i have ironically found it in a lot of non-christians so i have talked to a couple hindus that have never that are prolific astral projection people that have not seen it and uh and and some buddhists that grew up buddhists or shinto and then you know moved into buddhism that they haven't experienced it and so i'm i keep wondering if it's a very christian idea uh i i can't remember who i talked to recently who said they hadn't seen it oh no it was with our uh our guest uh the mufon i can't recall his name jer oh he was one one of my favorite guests on nox mente the mufon guy MJ, um, was it MJ Benias? No, he was just recent. The MUFON guy. That, okay. Yes. Uh, from MUFON. And he came in with, I crowned him like the king of Noxmente. Uh, it was just recent. Anyway, he's a MUFON worker, deals with UFOs and experiencers and all that. And we recently had him on our other show, Noxmente. And he came oh, in with Preston like, Dennett. Yes, Preston. Thank you. And uh, he came in with a, a lot of very intriguing information regarding all of this, actually. And he had not seen his silver cord, and he kept wondering why, because everyone talks about it. And there is also this uh, bi- biblical Ecclesiastes reference to it. And I, I thought, okay, so we dug deeper into this, and it turns out 
he went in and he intentionally wanted to see it because he'd never seen it. And so when he turned around, he actually did see it and he jumped. This was just an out of body experience. So astral projection, not an NDE. And he jumped into the cord, his astral body, and it, it shot him into his body, like the movie being James Malkovich. And uh, so he was having kind of like a non-local experience of himself in and out of body, very layered experience. And I found that most intriguing. I had never heard it. Uh, so I'm still in this quest with this silver cord, which in my mind's eye really feels like an umbilical cord. So, and, and this is a good question for you, Jay. What do you think that is? You, you mentioned earlier that it, it pins you down. It gives you an idea that you are still corporal and, uh, and part of the material world, that you're still attached to your identity, your physical body. Is, or am I reading too much into that? Yeah, I think it's still connection to this world. And it seems like most near-death experiencers still have that silver cord. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll see NDEs, they were dead for a few minutes or maybe 45 minutes. There's a few NDEs, like Emmanuel, I talk about from Rwanda, who was dead for like seven days. And you kind of wonder, are there a few NDEs that actually went into complete death, but somehow God or whatever gave, sent them back and that they're sort of like the rare exception that most of the time, if you don't have that cord attached, you're not getting back. But maybe there was a few exceptional cases where the cord could have been severed because they were dead for days and they were still able to get back because God wanted them to. Like Emmanuel says, he was sent back by Christ specifically to go back he didn't have a choice and i don't know at what point the silver cord would would sever from from the corpse you know if it's just a few minutes or a few hours or if it if you could hold on for days and you know still get back i i don't know when the cord would sever and um if it's possible to get back if the cord severed in some exceptional cases um do you have any ideas on Well, like I said, yeah, like I said, there's first for me, I, it's really tied into this idea of the umbilical cord for some reason. And uh, I like the imagery around it. And it, it seems refreshing when confronted with things like out-of-body experiences, where in my experience with out-of-body experiences, a lot of time, and still, a lot of times I question if I'm living or dead. And when I was first really having them, when I was young, I would jump back in. I always thought I would find myself standing in the room or above and wherever, you know, just buried. Uh, and when I realized that I wasn't in my body, I would freak out and then jerk back in because I, I, I was in fear I was dead. And then later as I moved on, through this timeline of my life, they, that doesn't have, it still happens. 
And so I'm always amazed by people that are very uh, adept, more adept than I, uh, in these experiences, because every once in a while, I am like, oh, man, I, I think I'm dead. And then that idea, that whole realization, and this is on the second, I mean, it's a flash of a second even, washes over me. And I, I jerk back into my body with a big jerking motion. And uh, so I don't know if I'm making a construct around the idea of having one. I don't know why I do not experience seeing one. Uh, and I'm also, like I said, I'm deeply intrigued by the tie between a fetus and the mother and being out of your physical body and having a silver cord. There seems to be a tie to me. There seems to be a notable connection to that, whether or not I'm experiencing it or not. I mean, I could be a clone for all I know. <laughs> I feel like I have a holy light in me. And I say that on a very, very broad spectrum because I I am I have no religion. I am above like the isms. So I, I don't want to say above. I'm outside of it, of the isms. So I don't follow any faith at all. I have uh, but I'm extremely uh tied into all these ideas and I'm on a spiritual quest in my life that's leading me all over the place and been wonderful. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's an intriguing well, idea. It, yeah, if, if you had a silver cord and let's say you had an MDE and the cord wasn't severed, to some extent, could that give you protection against a walk-in? You know, maybe sometimes walk-ins could still happen but maybe they would be very rare because you, they still have a connection to that body, the soul does. So it might be more difficult for a walk-in to get in there because there's still the cord attached to the other person. Would that sort of give you some kind of protection from a forced walk-in? Well, I think it, I think the idea of it could. So for me personally, Jay, I, here's one of the big questions I've been asking my entire life. Now I've had several brushes with death and I've had, I've had a lot of fantastical things or things that seem to have happened to me, stories at least that I've held on to. Uh, and then when I also have brought these, I've brought strange encounters to people that are close by and I've been starting to bring people in my life to tell these stories because I think a lot of times people think I'm just talking this stuff, but I, I have people that come into my life and there's a strange, there's a lot of phenomena that happens around me that people experience when they're around me. So I'm, I, I'm trying to parse out what all this is. Okay. And so I have questioned for years and years and years if I'm already dead, if this is some sort of afterlife I'm going through. And uh, because there are a lot of signicators to me that seem different from the stories I hear from everyone else. Like, why are my stories so vastly different from everyone else's? And yet I have this, 
I have a deep spark within me. I have, you know, this little lad of mine, that kind of thing going on. The hermit's light is very bright in me. I have a, a feel of illumination within me. So I feel like I'm a spirited, souled being. I feel like I am not a clone or something else that, you know, stuff like that that gets talked about in the outer world, an NPC, uh, an AI. Uh, but I don't know. And that's the thing. And that's what keeps me in that idea or state of being a journeyman in life. And these quests I keep having, finding myself all over the board, looking at different religious ideologies, different theologies. Uh, I'm not sure if any of us in this realm are actually here. And I know that sounds provocative, Jay, but there's a lot of evidence from where I stand that this is all an illusion, even though within this illusion, we have consequences. There are parameters that rule it, like the holodeck, right? There are parameters within it. Or the idea that has always been around, that if you die in a dream, you die in, in the apparent real life, even though there's a lot of testimony saying, well, I died in a dream and then I woke up. So I don't know. And I don't hold conviction tight to my vest like some people. So I stay very flexible with these ideas. But I'm still questioning for real, really and honestly, as I stand here and testify in front of you, Mr. J. I don't know that any of us are actually truly alive here. I think this is some sort of construct or uh, alternate reality in which we are functioning somehow collectively and personally. Well, I know that uh, a lot of near-death experiences feel like they're still partly on the other side, that they sort of have one foot in this world and one foot in the other world. I've seen that. And a lot of times when people have near-death experiences, they say, it felt more real than this world, that it was a hyper-reality. This world feels like a dream. So, you know, and I, I kind of did actually mention the holodeck in my book that there's a, you can sort of create your own personal heaven in a sense. And a lot of times people say, I was taken to a garden and it feels like it was personally prepared for me specifically. So, um, I, I think that uh, there is sort of a connection. And I've heard people say that two-thirds of our souls stay in that other dimension and only a third come to this world. I don't know if that mathematically is how it really works, but I've heard the concept that most of our soul is really on the other side and only a small portion is here on Earth and we're sort of having experiences to learn and gain things here. But the other side is is more real than this world you know yes i can i can definitely attest to when i'm out of body or even at a, say a lower state of lucidity and just what i think is generally known as a lucid dream those realities actually to me are more vivid and more uh tangible than this 
they feel like I feel like I'm seeing a full spectrum of light in those experiences where here I feel like I'm really blinded in this particular I feel really dense here I, feel, I definitely feel a sense of gravity and density in matter and so that whole spirit in matter or the whole ghost in the machine kind of idea if we toggle that uh, I also just want to state this clearly I feel like there's nothing special about me so there's no god complex here or no neo complex I I don't feel that I am the one or anything like that I just need to get that out because I've never had that I don't feel like I'm a deity that's been reincarnated I don't feel like I'm a queen I keep hearing stories that I'm a Marian queen or something and all this other stuff, I, if I am, I don't have a sense of it. Let me put it that way. And uh, I feel absolutely common and normal. It's just that I tend to experience and people around me tend to experience a great deal of unusual activity. And uh, that's the stuff I'm now, this is what led to these shows this is what's led to this quest I'm on. This is what's also bringing forth the idea. I'm bringing forth people in my personal life that don't have experiences crazy, uh, except for when they're around me. And so I'm trying to pierce into this veil of luminality, liminality, and understand in our great sleep, in the great sleep that we could all be in and where we converge here in this idea of a physical realm that does feel dense and the consequences feel like they're very high where we a lot of us or a lot of the stories here in this realm are wiped from us our greater consciousness of where we come from where we're going there's a certain blinders aspect to this reality uh i want yeah, to know more. more yes please continue yeah i mean is it sort of like you have a connection to the spirit world like the light has been switched not necessarily because you switched it but somehow it got switched maybe by god or by whatever and you're able to see and experience things that most people aren't it doesn't make you better. It just means the light switch has been turned on for you and you're able to experience certain things. Was there like some in, one initial experience that sort of opened you up and from then on you could, you know, have out-of-body experiences and have all these feelings? Right. I Yeah, like I said, and I can never state that enough. I don't feel better than anyone or... Uh, yeah, I, I have no complex like that. There's none of that. In fact, it's not been great. It's it's separated me from people and made my whole life in general more uh, isolated. Let me put it that way. From a very young kid, scaring adults around me and not family not wanting contact with me because of phenomena around me. And so it's made my life actually rather lonely. But I know there's something and that's the... I'm a, I'm a bloodhound on that. I know there's something. And I, ha I can't find, nothing's fitting for me. That's what I'm saying. 
I haven't found the perfect fit here. Some things make sense mm -hmm. to me. When I hear the stories of the transfiguration in the canon, there's something to that for me. There's something deep in my being that resonates with that. And, and little gems like that across the board. And so I'm, I'm pushing further in. In fact, when I was binging you today, your material that I could find, uh, you, you were speaking about transfiguration and I, I was finding that very intriguing. There's something that seems like I need to know more about that, that idea, how that's playing out and uh, how does that play out for the common person and not say someone that's divine because I think we're all divine in the end. It's where I stand. I think we all have like dreaming. We all have access to this process. We all have access to that light, if you will. And it's a matter of learning how to access it, how to encounter it and engage it and be with it and then understand it and let it come into or onto us in a bigger way i just don't know i feel like there's some puzzle here yes yeah, it's, it's kind of like some people are just more in tune to it kind of like edgar casey you know who would have who would be able to go into a trance and you know receive certain spiritual truths and a lot of more similar to NDE-like truths and things like that. And there's nothing in his background from a child where he sought these things. In fact, it's probably, I think he was kind of discouraged from it, from his childhood. He came from kind of a rigid, um, more fundamental background. Um, but for whatever reason, he had this connection to, to God and to spirit, and he could have all these revelations you know, call it whether it's psychic or um, clairvoyant or whatever. Some people just have it. And I've heard different terms. Um, people talk about things like crystal children or um, rainbow children, different terms to where some people are born just more connected to the spiritual world. They don't, maybe they don't lose it like most of us do to a great extent. Yeah. Yeah, and those are stories I, and I've come late to the scene with some of this stuff, thanks to the internet, uh, because I didn't, I did, I certainly didn't do a lot of studying around any of this before the internet, really. I, like I said, I've, I've had kind of an isolated life because of the circumstances around me are so funky. <laughs> uh and so it's always taken really strong-minded people and strong-willed people and people of interest to be around me, I guess. And uh, so in many ways, the last decade of my life has been wonderful because of the internet and starting to dig deeper into some of this stuff that other, other knowing that other people are going through these journeys of trying to understand phenomena around them is refreshing to me. Uh, I didn't consider myself an empath for years and I shunned that title actually. But when I really came to understand that 
idea, I started to embrace it where I could, I could wake and, and it plays completely into say, one thing that I did embrace was Jungian psychology, having gone through analysis. Uh, I did embrace the idea of I'm an extreme introvert when you, when I took both the Myers-Briggs and the Kelsey Grammer tests. Those are long extended tests, by the way. They're not like a 10 thing you can take on the internet. Kelsey Grammer, uh, is it like the Fraser test? It was the first one. And then the, uh, yeah, you, you can look I never heard of that. Yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, but they're extensive tests. They're, they're not light. And when I showed up on both as an extreme introvert, I obviously I can communicate and people get those terms very they're misconstrued with them I started to understand that aspect of my psyche so if we're looking at it psychologically but it still didn't hone in for me what was going on in this apparent outer world and how I was connecting with others why I was feeling isolated everywhere this feeling of isolation I've had like I'm the alien amongst you know the whole thing a stranger in a strange land all that kind of stuff and the internet's blown this wide open for me so then I did encounter Jay those titles the the crystal kids and the the indigos and I'm in that generation that I think the generation before me, I'm a Gen Xer. So the generation before me was the original, I think in our uh, star seeds or whatever. See, I don't even really properly know how all that works. I just know I've heard that Gen Xers are that second wave. And so there could be something to that for me, certainly. Uh, Again, I don't know. It doesn't quite fit for me. And it seems a little new agey to me still. And I have a knee jerk. If I have a knee jerk reaction to anything, it's never been Christianity. It's always been the new age movement uh, for whatever reason. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I know all this is tied into the idea of death. Everything's tied into the idea of death. And I know that this is true for anyone trying to seek meaning out of their life, right? We're all heading in, in that, towards that, we're all being bottlenecked into it, right? And all a million, billion, trillion choices, and we all still have to move through that cowl, that veil. And uh, I'm not afraid of it at all. I, there's so much, been so much death around me. And like I said, I question whether we're actually really, truly alive in a physical sense. Uh, I know that I look around and I see people very much alive and vibrant in a spiritual sense. And I see a glowing light within them. I see the sparkle in the eye. I hear it in the voice. I can tell those that are there, like, you know, with the soul and, uh, and those that are not, that are checked out with walk-ins or NPCs and all of that. And so with this idea of empathy, when I finally was able to grasp that term and accept it for what it is, I that I actually take on these energies from people. And I, I when I learned that that, okay, I woke up and I'm feeling crabby. 
And I'm like, why am I feeling crabby? I, there's no reason I wake up generally a happy person. So I I'm fine. And then I'll look online and some major events happened, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this is why there's, I'm picking up on a collective emotional vibe, like a Schumann, like the Schumann resonance or something like a, a wave from the sun or a galactic wave or whatever. I'm picking up on it and I'm taking it in. So I started to learn to accept some of this verbiage under that guise, right? So then I was able to move forward in my process and go, okay, this isn't my feeling. Oftentimes when I get around people individually, I feel pain. I feel their pain. So I can feel, I'll get like a backache if someone's got a backache and I don't know about it and I learn about it. I don't like touching people because I pick up their pain. And uh, it's been why some partners of mine have enjoyed touch from me. I take it on and I didn't understand what that was. I did not understand what that was until I was able to hear some new age terminology around it. And now I get it. Now I get why I, I get why that's a phenomena for me, but it still doesn't reconcile the idea that this still doesn't feel like my real life. My real life feels like it's ha happening somewhere else. And this is, like you said earlier, a part of my soul having experience. So for me personally, this feels like the dream and I'm somewhere else and I'm in this dream and I'm trying to be lucid within this dream. The dreamer loves the dream. I'm trying to be awake in the dream. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I, does it sometimes sort of create a, a, a frustration? Because I know a lot of indie years when they come back here feel frustrated that, you know, they, they would rather be over on the other side. Do you actually see like uh, kind of like what you describe as heavenly experiences? Do you see um, gardens and do you see lights and departed loved ones and have interactions with them? Do you go to that dimension? Oh, yeah, I have when I'm, yeah, so in my, my dream dream experience, which I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure what these levels of lucidity are. I encounter my dead loved ones all the time. And it's, you know, the closer in, like when my, my mom has been dead for over 20 years and uh, all my favorite, the, the, my main family members have been dead for decades. So I've been quite alone actually, because the rest of the family was terrified of me from being young with some weird psychic, I guess, phenomena around me. And I'd never really had close relationships because of that. They didn't want me around literally I wasn't welcome at family gatherings. I wasn't welcome at funerals. It was that extreme in my life. And so my momo and her mother were integral and they gave me a connection and an idea of family and to some extent, my mother's sister. Uh, but my mother's sister, because her, those sisters were very close. Otherwise, yeah, her and I were not. And so that, that these people are I still have a relationship with, but when I was 
first encountering my mother and my grandmother in the dream space, it was so emotional that it, it woke me up in tears. I would jolt out and back here. And then it ha they had to slowly come back in through, I'd see my mother through another room or through two rooms away. And then I would, the emotionality would be distant enough where I could, I could view her or through glass where I could just view her and not have an experience uh, that would wake me up. And now I have a full relationship with her, just like my beloved dog that just died. And I considered my daughter in a dog's body uh, that was the worst death for me. I've been around death my whole entire life. I mean, just since I was little, not like grandmothers, my cousin at seven and then my other cousin at 16. And I mean, just a lot of people my age, my peer group. And uh, one of my best friends in school, Ammonian died. She was like nine or nine. And uh, so it's been a, death has been close to me my whole life. And yet this dog tore me up like nothing else. And every time I go to sleep, every night she comes to me, we dream together. And so the relationships have transformed and yet they're still there. They're still very physical and they feel physical. On that note, I have lots of visions and I see lots of things and I make art around those visions and I have a very accurate rate of success with what I see. I mean, just absolutely bang on. And that's why I've been making art for years and dating it. Uh, so there's that aspect. And that, Jay, tells me also that I may not be alive, that none, none of this is the realm of the living. That's what I'm saying. It's not just me. It's you. It's Jerry. It's all of us. And we're trying to remember. That's what I keep coming to again and again. Yeah, I, I've heard the, the idea of um, trying to remember where we came from. And um, I think maybe part of it is we forget so that we're sort of present in this life to sort of learn what we need to learn and go through and experience things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've heard the idea of when people that have died, they remember, oh, yeah, this is my true home. And, you know, I sort of forgot where I came from. And I've seen that in near-death experiences when they get on the other side. But I'm wondering, is it possible we're on the other side? We're in, we're in the afterlife. Is that possible? Could you, can you conceptualize that at all in your life? Is it possible this is your afterlife? Well, I mean, I, um, you know, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, um, that you don't have to die to go to heaven. You don't have to die to be in hell. Um, in a sense, within our soul, uh, we're there. And I've heard the idea that when you die, a lot of times it seems more real because the distractions are gone, that you sort of live out of your soul at that point. So I guess in a sense you could say we're already in heaven, we're already in other dimensions, you know, because it talks about like in the Bible, 
we are seated in heavenly places and it's present tense. It's just a matter of recognizing that we're there and sort of remembering um, who we are. And I think sometimes that concept can be difficult for people because you know, we've always been taught the idea of heaven is out there or hell is out there, but it can actually be right within us. It's just a matter of um, awareness. Yeah. And, 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 and belief. The, and belief. Yes. Belief's a big deal. Yeah. Belief's a, a, is, con, you know, the... The crux of it. Well, conviction. Yeah. Conviction is a very big deal. And I think that that has gravity to it, holds us into spaces, if you will. It's a construct. Yeah. Mind prison. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> or mind virus. Or mind virus. Yeah, both. But with this, Jay, this has been, this has been such a wonderful chat and i think we can all agree that the the experience we're having is mysterious whether you are a christian or a buddhist or an atheist wherever you are in this experience it's mysterious and it's way more ex mysterious if you allow yourself the mysteries if you allow yourself the suspension of disbelief to enter into the mysteries of what this idea of life is And so I, uh, I want to thank you for yes, thank a, you so much. a wonderful, wonderful uh, interaction that brought a lot of fruit to our table to consider and eat from. And food for thought. Yes. Where, where can people find you, Jay, if they want to get yeah, in touch with you? I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I have a Facebook page called Spiritual Discussions with author Jace Pillars. That's a Facebook page. Then I have a Facebook group called The Bible and the Near-Death Experience that people can join if they want to. Okay. Um, and my book's at Amazon, The, the Heaven's Truth, The Parallels Between the Bible and the Near-Death Experience. They can find that on Amazon. But yeah, if they want to come to my group or my page, that would be good. Great. I will put links to all those in the show notes and the video description when it goes live. So, uh, yeah, yes. it's, been, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And uh, we hope to talk to you again sometime. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time.